welcome to another Top of the Table interview. Join us as we hear stories and advice from MDRT Top of the Table qualifiers. Welcome to the Top of the Table. I'm Sandy Chassel. My lifelong work is finding out and sharing what gets someone to the top of his or her profession. Top of the Table, Top Advisor, Top Agency, and so on. Sharing with me today is Bob Groylick, who is at the top of his profession. Bob is a lifetime MDRT member and top of the table qualifier for many years. He has been a financial professional since 1980. He's the managing member of the Pinnacle Planning Group in Oak Brook, Illinois, and is recognized as one of the top retirement planners in the industry, specializing in service, in serving defined contribution retirement plans. Bob has been named several times as a Financial Times 401 Top Retirement Plan Advisor and as a five-star professional in the Chicago Magazine. Welcome, Bob. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you, sir. Oh, good. So uh, it sounds like we should just jump right in. And I'm curious, you um, it looks like you just started your work career in this profession. What got you into this profession? Kind of a funny little story back. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, um, and worked, uh, started working uh, um, at a little t uh, local toy and hobby shop uh, around the corner from our house. And uh, I was in one day and the, the owner said, uh, was asking what I was doing. And I said, I was picking up a couple of things. And he said, well, I thought you were coming to ask for a job. And I said, that's interesting that you say that because after I got done with this, uh, the purchase, I was I was actually planning on asking if you uh, needed any assistance. So he ended up, he hired me. Um, and a couple of weeks later, he came, called me back into his office when I was there. And I was uh, uh, all of uh, uh, 14 at the time when, when he hired me. Um, and he called me in and he said, um, my partner called me and we have a problem. And I said, what's that? Uh, what's that been? And he said, well, we don't hire anybody under 16. And I said, okay, you hired me, but he said, well, you're not 16. I said, you didn't ask. And he said, so, okay, well, then you better hurry up and turn 16. And he just kind of turned the page from there. So I ended up uh, working for, for him, um, assembling things for the store. Uh, he comes in one Friday or Saturday uh, morning, and I'm out on the sales floor. I just uh, put a bunch of bikes together and, and stacked them out there. And he came in and, and he saw me with some customers and he was pacing back and forth and was visibly irritated that I was sitting there chatting with some folks and motioned me to the back. And I said, yeah, in a minute, um, went back a little bit later and he said, what are you doing? You're supposed to be assembling bikes. And I said, well, I did, but you know, these people wanted to buy some. So I sold the family six bikes. He said, Oh, okay, good. Well, you're going to be out on the sales floor now. <laughs> so I put me out on sales and then, and then he, you know, transferred me, you know, move me up, move me up. Um, it's actually interesting when I was, he was a little local toy store that was, uh, uh affiliated with a, a major mall developer by marriage. So whenever a mall went up, one of their, uh, toy and hobby shops went up. So by 16, I was actually flying around the country with him as part of the group of people that would go in when the store was about to open and merchandise the whole store. So uh, came time to um, um, graduate high school, and it was like, 
he's, what are you going to do? Uh, and I said, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. And he said, well, you have two choices. You can either go to school and have them try to teach you the things that I've been teaching you for the last four years, or you can be manager of store A, B, or C, or assistant manager of the uh, the largest store um, in, in, in the, in which was in the local area. And I said, well, I'll do that one. Um, and decided not to go to school because I was in my mind destined to stay in retail. I was going to be a, a buyer uh, for a major chain down the road. Uh, along the way, the manager of that store uh, told me I had to uh, meet with her insurance agent and buy some insurance. And I said, you know, Betty, I'm, I'm 18. I, I'm single. I, got, I have no needs. And she said, sit down and meet with this guy anyway. So the guy sells me some insurance with option to purchase additional, uh, uh, the OPAI on it. And some years later, fast forward now, I'm with another firm. I'm actually the buyer for that store. Uh, so I'm, you know, uh, 19 and a half, I think, and I'm spending a million dollars of somebody else's money stacking the store with whatever we wanted in there. And my agent calls me and says, hey, I'm your new guy. I'm your new agent. Um, you have an option coming up. Uh, I want to sit down and chat with you. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't need any more insurance. And he said, I'm across the street. I'll stop by anyway. So he comes in and uh, we sit and he chats and uh about half an hour later, he's leaving, and I realized I just bought, you know, three times the option that I was that I had coming up at, you know, multiple times what I was paying. And I said, "Bill, come back here, talk to me about this. Why, what, why am I doing this? Well, you're doing this because you're saving and you're setting yourself up for the future." And I said, "Well, tell me about what you do and how you do it." And he said, "Well." I work about uh, three and a half, four days a week, uh, except during hunting season or fishing season. Then I'm always taking Fridays off and maybe something during the day. He said, I come in around at nine and I leave around three. And I was like, I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I thought it was, uh, sounded like an awesome job. Uh, petitioned to, uh, to get hired there after some finagling. I actually uh, did get hired, uh, but they, they hired me to at that time uh, was with Equitable Life Assurance Society, uh, hired me to sell homeowners and auto insurance and then migrate into uh, to life insurance over the table. Uh, about six months in, Equitable sold off uh, the homeowners and auto division, the property casualty to Geico. And now I was faced with, well, now what am I going to do? I didn't come to sell just life insurance. That wasn't really what my gig was at the time. Um, and one of the agents down the hall from me had said, hey, you know, I need some help. I'm doing some things with uh, defined benefit plans. I think that might have some uh, some legs to it. So it interested me. It interested me um, because of all the different variables that were there. Uh, so we sat, we chatted, we started. I uh, started to embrace that. Started digging in, reading everything that I could about defined benefit, how they worked. Um, and it turns out, in the state of Iowa, um, there's a lot of farmers co-ops. You know, all the farmers belong to a little local co-op so that they can ship their grain aside around. And those co-ops were part of either uh, agri-industries or farmland industries. So they had, there was two different multiple employer plans that were set up. Uh, their defined benefits with, with one of those two plans. And we just literally started traveling around the countryside, stopping in on, on co-ops and talking to them about what we were able to do for them if we took them out of the MEP 
and uh, put it on their own plan. And so that's how we got into retirement. And I got more and more focused in it, spending more and more time in it. We had uh, a meeting that was scheduled from uh, the, the regional home office. So a woman by the name of Liz Hallam, who's still uh, an icon with the in the industry and, and with uh, with Equitable, now AXA, uh, came out and did this meeting. And she was talking about defined benefit, defined contribution. She said, there's, you know, there's this new thing out there called 401ks. We don't know that much about it, you know, because this is like 82. Um, <clears throat> But she said, it looks like there might be something interesting there. So I met with her after, and she said, go see these guys up in Wisconsin because they've developed this program. So I fly up to, to, to Milwaukee, meet with a couple of guys who were selling the rights to their package uh, by state by state. And the rights to the package included some really bad 35-millimeter uh, slides, uh, some pretty poor marketing material prospecting letters were very marginal at best, but the one thing that they had that was very intriguing in 1982 was a program, a software program, that would illustrate the effects of a pre-tax deduction on your net paycheck. And back then we were in 50% plus uh, tax brackets. So ended up buying the rights, uh, which was five grand. Now I had to buy a computer. So I buy the, my first computer was an IBM XT with a 10 megabyte hard drive. You know, I was so advanced. Yeah. Um, a dot matrix printer, a HP one laser jet. I bought WordStar, Lotus, InfoStar. And all of a sudden uh, I'm in um, partnership with the bank for about 20 grand. So it's like, this has got to work. So we started focusing uh, exclusively on retirement plans and focusing on 401k plans. And we kind of took the uh, Iowa agency from nowhere to all of a sudden in the top three in the country in terms of pension production. So we were um, having a lot of fun selling 401k plans back in the day, back uh, before you know Reagan changed some of the tax laws and uh, made it a little more difficult, which uh, which was probably a good thing at the time. But um, but that's it. That's how I got in. And since then, um, uh, I guess we can fast forward to that. In '88, I got a call from the regional home office asking me to come out to meet with the president in uh, uh, in Chicago. <laughs> To get out here, he asked me, he wants me to become part of the regional office. I thought he was nuts because, you know, I had a nice renewal base in, uh, back in Iowa. And over this interview that lasted for about eight hours, uh, Mark Rooney's uh, well-known in the industry. He was the uh, uh, president at the time. He gets me to commit uh, in the middle of his global economic speech that, uh, that fine, I'll, I'll do it. And I told him, I said, I'm either going to do this for two, two and a half years, I'll come out. Uh, I'll work with the, the agencies because the job was to answer questions, to be the resource to go out and around and, and teach people how to, how to sell and service plants. I said, I'll do it for two, two and a half years, or I'm going to go to home and then back to uh, the field that much smarter from working around the estate planner, uh, the financial folks, you know, the disability folks. I said, or I'm going to the home office because they're really kind of messing some things up. Uh, it was almost two and a half years to the day when I got the call to come up to New York um, in the middle of a wage freeze while they were doing demutualization, moving from Equitable to AXA. Um, but I ended up in New York. 
um, and I was there pretty much one week short of a year before I decided a Midwestern boy didn't necessarily need to be up in this political environment. Moved back to Chicago and then uh, reopened private practice. And that's really at the, about the time where you start working together with other agents and developing some synergies. And that's really where the basis of Pinnacle was formed uh, with a group of people that had been working together uh, uh, for a long time. Yeah, so um, your work was coming from other agencies because you had chosen or had ended up specializing. I, I got a fair amount of referrals from other people because, um, you know, they would run into a, a company that wanted something, you know, because now we're in the 90s, you know, so people were, were taking on and uh, wanting to know more about 401k plans. So some of it was coming from that. Some of it was coming from, you know, our own marketing efforts. And then uh, at the same time, when I was at AXA, I was in charge of uh, uh, their locally uh, of their dual professional program where CPAs and attorneys were getting licensed. So I got to know a lot of the CPAs and, uh, and the attorneys very well, which then became, you know, another referral source uh, in addition to, you know, your own clients. Yeah, that sounds like a good tip right there, Bob, is get to know CPAs and attorneys. Uh, and it sounds like that uh, was they continue to be a significant uh, uh, resource. You know, it's not, uh, it's, it would be very out of the ordinary for not to get a call or two during the month of December when they're trying to close out tax years and trying to save money for the tax years. You know, we get these emergency calls to, to set up retirement plans to, to shelter money for, for the tax year. Did you ever get into the situation where the attorney says, well, if you're not going to refer me business, I'm not going to refer you business? Or was it pretty clear from the beginning, look, this is one way, but I'm going to help you and your clients? Well, interesting, uh, because there's really a couple of different pieces there. You know, certainly attorneys want some of the uh, quid pro quo, but uh, back in the uh, 90s, it was becoming very prevalent that, that we were getting attorneys and CPAs licensed and registered. So instead of them, you know, just getting a referral, they could actually share in the revenues. So we had a lot of folks that were doing that sharing in a, in a, you know, some small piece, but still giving them enough that um, it made sense for them to continue to be involved, but yet to sit on the client side of the table and ask the questions that the client didn't know to ask. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, that distinguishes it because it's a problem that a lot of advisors run into when they're trying to have multiple attorneys, multiple accountants, but you have that built in for you. So, so that sounds like a great way. We kind of created that, yeah. We created that process um, and developed that relationship. Now, today you don't see as many attorneys or CPAs getting licensed, but you know, now today uh, the, the hair is a little grayer, so I, I look a little older, a little smarter perhaps, and, and now we don't worry about the, uh, the quid pro quo as much. <laughs> right, it's just uh, I can help you or, or I won't help you, it's up to you. Uh, that's good. At some point, you must have uh, realized or you must have strived to get involved with the MDRT. How did that come about? Well, in the early years, um, 
you know, that was always something that Equitable focused on very, very heavily. And they uh, were, were out for people to, you know, push to become MDRT. And, and we wrote a rather large grocery store, uh, their 401k back in, I think it was 84, uh, the end of 84. Um, and back in the early days of 401k, you sold life insurance inside of 401ks. That was pretty common. So we wrote this 900-person group. Um, we wrote $34.5 million of insurance inside of that uh, that paid out uh, the second week of January. So we all thought this was pretty cool. We're MDRT, you know, by January 10th of, uh, of the following year. Um, and, you know, a couple of other years I, I had attained the MDRT, uh, but then it was kind of like out of sight, out of mind, because I really wasn't selling a lot of life insurance. We do a little bit of executive benefits, but we didn't spend a lot of time in there until, you know, probably 15 years or so ago. Somebody said, hey, um, you want to take a look at this because there's multiple different ways that you can um, – you can make MDRT either by, you know, by, by uh, premium or volume. And, and they said, with the stuff that you're doing in the retirement plan, you probably have enough ongoing flows coming in to qualify, you know, at MDRT. So it's like, all right, well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. Uh, put it off to the side, and then the package came one year, and I was like, okay, so let's take a look at this. And it's like, well, I get six percent credit on on these flows that are coming in, and I and calculated it out, and I was like, all of a sudden, well, I'm three times what I need for for the qualification here, and then I was like, well, wait a minute. I qualify top of the table, <laughs> you know. So it was like, yeah, of course I'm gonna, I'm gonna join, right? Because we all have our own little egos. Yeah. Um, so ego kind of drove that, and and I've uh, um, stayed focused on that uh, pretty much since then. Yeah, top of the table just was something that you realized you were at, and this is not the first time someone's told me that. It was, you know, it was a surprise. It was something that, you know, you, you grew up knowing that certain people in the agency were, were MDRT, some of the people, the really good producers, the people that you held up on a pedestal might be core to the table or top of the table. Um, and, and I have worked very hard at what we do and, and keeping, we have a very high retention rate because of the services and the manner that we provide. Um, and we continue to see pretty much a steady growth of assets every year. But so, so when I looked at it and said, wow, I'm top of the table. And that just helped me get a little bit maybe more focused uh, to continue to do the things that, that we do, uh, provide the services so that we could uh, continue to attain that. And um, just passed, I think last year was, uh, uh, not, uh, was it, Either 18, I think it was 18, was uh, uh, the 10 year top of the table. So, in your lifetime, then. Very excited about that. Lifetime member going forward. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned just now something about being, giving your uh, service, so the, give, giving great service to clients so that the retention rate's very high. What's the magic? What's what's the thing that you think keeps them with you every year? Well, in the retirement industry, um, everything is becoming very commoditized. 
margins are shrinking. Uh, so you have to be very committed. You can't be that blind squirrel that's going to do one or two retirement plans a year and then focus on something else. If you're going to be in the retirement space today, you have to be very committed to that space and pretty much have that be 100% of your time. But then once you're spending 100% of the time, the same way as many other people are, now what's going to set yourself apart? So you got to start thinking about where's the value add and uh, where's uh, what's what's the, the the methodology? What's the beliefs that that drives everything? And we look at it and say, <clears throat> when I'm with a client, I'll tell them, uh, my job, our goal is to keep you as uninvolved in the plan or involved in the plan as you want to be. Said so I can paper you to death, or I can tell you what you need to do when you need to do that, and then we can do the rest. And most everybody's going to obviously take that choice. Uh, because they have multiple hats that they have to wear. Well, then you have to back that up. Well, backing that up means, um, you know, my wife works with, uh, with us in the office. She'll actually assist with payrolls and getting the payroll contributions remitted up to the uh, to the providers. Not actually doing it herself, but building the files where they don't have the time or uh, perhaps don't have the resources to do it. Um, we have all calls, participant calls funnel through our office instead of the 800 number so that they develop a relationship and get to know the people on the team as opposed to, you know, talking to somebody in New York in the morning and somebody in the uh, West Coast in the afternoon and who knows where you're going to be during the day. So call centers are great for most of the retirement platforms that we work with, but um, but at the same time, you know, you never get to uh, develop a relationship with the people calling our office you do calling our office we have the ability to interact with the participants <clears throat> excuse me and take uh, human nature out of investing so that people aren't making mistakes when the talking heads on tv are saying oh my god the doom and gloom because we're dropping 500 points today so yeah that's great that's all great. those things all those things and then you know we just go the extra mile um you know uh come time for for testing we have relationships with multiple payroll companies, so we have the ability to go in and do the downloads uh, of the census and send it off to the TPA so that the client doesn't have to do that. So we're saving them hours uh, of stuff that maybe they do once a year as opposed to something we do all the time. So it becomes, it's much quicker for us. Yeah. So it's all service. Service is so important. I loved how you listed your wife on your website as, as a volunteer for the firm. So she. Uh, that's that's not that's not me. That is her. She was very emphatic about the fact that um, um, that she was going to be listed as a loyal volunteer. That took a lot of finagling with compliance to get that yeah. through. Uh, but it was her point that she says, hey, um, you know, we have grandkids and I'm going to take off and go see the grandkids uh, when when I need to. Yeah, that's good. So. But the, the fact that it's a family where service is important is very powerful. So if I were a uh, new MDRT member or I'd made it to the MDRT a couple of times and I'm looking and saying, you know, how do you get to court? How do you get to top of the table? What advice would you give me? What advice? Um, I think, um, and what I've chatted with agents in the past, you know, in their early years, you're going to learn a little bit about a lot of different things. 
but somewhere along the line, there's going to be one or two of those things that really feel good to you that, that, uh, that you like doing. And I think at that point, once you start to identify those, that's where you start putting in your efforts because in today's world, you have to be uh, very focused. You cannot be, I don't think personally, that you can be a jack of all trades and continue to perform at, um, at the levels that perhaps most people want to do. I think you have to become a specialist. I think you have to focus your uh, your energies, and when you find that uh, that that love, then you just embrace it and you uh, uh, stay focused on that. That's awesome advice. I, I really appreciate that because um, I, I argue about this with clients sometimes that there are a lot of ways to specialize, whether it be a particular product or service, uh, a particular market. Uh, and some of them say, no, 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 I want to be able to help everybody in every way. And uh, what I'm hearing from you is that's probably not the best way to do it. Well, I'll, let me uh, take a step back on that. We want to be most things to um, the people that we want to be, uh, be working with. Right. But it's not me. It's somebody on my team. So um, I was taught very early on, somebody asks you a question. If you don't know 100% of the time, the, you don't know the answer, you say, you know, I'm 98% sure, let me get back to you. Uh, the same thing goes with how we do business. When, when I'm talking to a group of participants, I'm saying every one of you needs a financial planner. It's not me, okay? If you have a, you have a need, I'll introduce you to somebody on our team. And they'll be your financial planner or this person will be the one that will do your 529s because we set that stage that up. I'm still looking over their shoulders, but this is the person that that's all they do. So I think um, we at Pinnacle are going to be most things to some people, but it's not me. It's going to be one of the other people on the team. Yeah, right. And that's great advice too, Bob, because uh, you can create a team where there are different specialists and it sounds like that's what your team looks like. I think that's incredibly important. Uh, that's critical to be successful today because you can't be everything by yourself. It's too complicated. Tax laws are too complicated. Yeah. Terrific advice. Thank you for your time and for participating in this. Uh, it was fun hearing your story and then, you know, getting the uh, advice that you have to give to people. And, and I know a lot of people are going to appreciate the effort you put in here. Um, so um, it's nice to be with you. Thank you. If you want to talk with me about your journey to the top of the table, contact me at sandychassell.com slash conversation. I'll see you at the top.